0: Book Four, Chapter One: Of The Return of the Native, by Thomas Hardy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Book Four: The Closed Door, Chapter One: The Rencounter by the Pool. The July sun shone over Egdon and fired its crimson heather to scarlet. It was the one season of the year, and the one weather of the season, in which the heath was gorgeous. This flowering period represented the second or noontide division in the cycle of those superficial changes which alone were possible here. It followed the green or young fern period, representing the morn, and preceded the brown period when the heath-bells and ferns would wear the russet tinges of evening, to be in turn displaced by the dark hue of the winter period, representing night. Clem and Eustacia, in their little house in Alderworth, beyond East Egdon, were living on with a monotony which was delightful to them. The heath and changes of weather were quite blotted out from their eyes for the present. They were enclosed in a sort of luminous mist which hid from them surroundings of any inharmonious color, and gave to all things the character of light. When it rained they were charmed, because they could remain indoors together all day with such a show of reason. When it was fine they were charmed, because they could sit together on the hills. They were like those double stars which revolve round and round each other, and from a distance appear to be one. The absolute solitude in which they lived intensified their reciprocal thoughts, yet some might have said that it had the disadvantage of consuming their mutual affections at a fearfully prodigal rate. YoBright did not fear for his own part, but recollection of Eustacia's old speech about the evanescence of love, now apparently forgotten by her, sometimes caused him to ask himself a question and he recoiled at the thought that the quality of finiteness was not foreign to Eden. When three or four weeks had been passed thus, YoBright resumed his reading in earnest. To make up for lost time he studied indefatigably, for he wished to enter his new profession with the least possible delay. Now, Eustatia's dream had always been that, once married to Clym, she would have the power of inducing him to return to Paris. He had carefully withheld all promise to do so, but would he be proof against her coaxing an argument? She had calculated to such a degree on the probability of success that she had presented Paris and not Budmouth to her grandfather as in all likelihood their future home. Her hopes were bound up in this dream. In the quiet days since their marriage, when Yeobright had been poring over her lips, her eyes, and the lines of her face, She had mused and mused on the subject, even while in the act of returning his gaze. And now the sight of the books, indicating a future which was antagonistic to her dream, struck her with a positively painful jar. She was hoping for the time when, as the mistress of some pretty establishment, however small, near a Parisian boulevard, she would be passing her days on the skirts, at least, of the gay world, and catching stray wafts from those town pleasures she was so well fitted to enjoy. Yet Yobright was as firm in the contrary intention as if the tendency of marriage were rather to develop the fantasies of young philanthropy than to sweep them away. Her anxiety reached a high pitch but there was something in Clem's undeviating manner which made her hesitate before sounding him on the subject. At this point in their experience, however, an incident helped her. It occurred one evening about six weeks after their union, and arose entirely out of the unconscious misapplication of Venn of the fifty guineas intended for Yorbright. A day or two after the receipt of the money, Thomason had sent a note to her aunt to thank her. She had been surprised at the largeness of the amount, but as no sum had ever been mentioned, she set that down to her late uncle's generosity. She had been strictly charged by her aunt to say nothing to her husband of this gift, and Wildeve, as was natural enough, had not brought himself to mention to his wife a singular particular of the midnight scene in the heath. Christian's terror in like manner had tied his tongue on the share he took in that proceeding and hoping that by some means or other the money had gone to its proper destination, he simply asserted as much, without giving details. Therefore, when a week or two had passed away, Mrs. Yobright began to wonder why she had never heard from her son of the receipt of the present, and to add gloom to her perplexity came the possibility that resentment might be the cause of his silence. She could hardly believe as much, but why did he not write? She questioned Christian, and the confusion in his answers would at once have led her to believe that something was wrong, had not one half of his story been corroborated by Thomason's note. Mrs. Yobright was in a state of uncertainty when she was informed one morning that her son's wife was visiting her grandfather at Mistover. She determined to walk up the hill, see Eustacia, and ascertain from her daughter-in-law's lips whether the family guineas, which were to Mrs. Yeobright what family jewels are to wealthier dowagers, had miscarried or not. When Christian learnt where she was going, his concern reached its height. At the moment of her departure he could prevaricate no longer, and, confessing to the gambling, told her the truth as far as he knew it, that the guineas had been won by Wild Eve.
1: What? Is he going to keep them?
0: Mrs. Yeobright cried.
2: I hope and trust not
0: moaned christian
2: he's a good man and perhaps will do right things he said you ought to have gid mr klim's share to Eustacia, and that's perhaps what he'll do himself
0: to mrs yeobright as soon as she could calmly reflect there was much likelihood in this for she could hardly believe that wild eve would really appropriate money belonging to her son the immediate course of giving it to Eustacia was the sort of thing to please wild eve's fancy but it filled the mother with anger none the less. That Wildeve should have got command of the guineas after all, and should rearrange the disposal of them, placing Clem's share in Clem's wife's hands, because she had been his sweetheart, and might be so still, was as irritating a pain as any that Mrs. Yellbright had ever borne. She instantly dismissed the wretched Christian from her employ for his conduct in the affair, but, feeling quite helpless and unable to do without him, told him afterwards that he might stay a little longer if he chose. Then she hastened off to Eustacia, moved by a much less promising emotion towards her daughter-in-law than she had felt half an hour earlier when planning her journey. At that time it was to inquire in a friendly spirit if there had been an accidental loss. Now it was to ask plainly if Wildeve had privately given her money which had been intended as a sacred gift to Clym. She started at two o'clock, and her meeting with Eustacia was hastened by the appearance of the young lady beside the pool and bank which bordered her grandfather's premises, where she stood surveying the scene and, perhaps, thinking of the romantic enactments it had witnessed in past days. When Mrs. Yobright approached, Eustacia surveyed her with the calm stare of a stranger. The mother-in-law was the first to speak. "'I was coming to see you,' she said.
2: "'Indeed,'
0: said Eustacia, with surprise, for Mrs. Yewbright, much to the girl's mortification, had refused to be present at the wedding.
2: "'I did not at all expect you.'
1: "'I was coming on business only,'
0: said the visitor, more coldly than at first.
1: "'Will you excuse
0: my asking this?
1: Have you received a gift from Thomasin's husband?'
2: "'A gift?'
1: "'I mean money.'
2: "'What? I myself?'
1: well i meant yourself privately though i was not going to put it in that way
2: money from mr wildeve no never madam what do you mean by that
0: eustacia fired up all too quickly for her own consciousness of the old attachment between herself and wildeve led her to jump to the conclusion that mrs yelbright also knew of it and might have come to accuse her of receiving dishonourable presents from him now I simply asked the question said mrs Yeobright.
1: I have been-you
2: ought to have better opinions of me. I feared you were against me from the first
0: exclaimed Eustacia.
1: No, I was simply for Clym
0: replied mrs Yeobright with too much emphasis in her earnestness.
1: It is the instinct of every one to look after their own.
2: How can you imply that he required guarding against me?
0: cried Eustacia, passionate tears in her eyes.
2: I have not injured him by marrying him. What sin have I done that you should think so ill of me? You had no right to speak against me to him, when I have never wronged you.
1: I only did what was fair under the circumstances,
0: said Mrs. O'Bright, more softly.
1: I would rather not have gone into this question at present, but you compel me. I am not ashamed to tell you the honest truth. I was firmly convinced that he ought not to marry you, Therefore, I tried to dissuade him by all the means in my power, but it is done now, and I have no idea of complaining any more. I am ready to welcome you.
2: Ah, yes, it is very well to see things in that business point of view,"
0: murmured Eustacia with a smothered fire of feeling.
2: But why should you think there is anything between me and Mister Wildeve? I have a spirit as well as you. I am indignant, and so would any woman be. It was a condescension in me to be Climb's wife. And not a manoeuvre. Let me remind you, and therefore I will not be treated as a schemer whom it becomes necessary to bear with because she has crept into the family.
0: Oh," said Mrs. Yeobright, vainly endeavouring to control her anger.
1: I have never heard anything to show that my son's lineage is not as good as the Vize, perhaps better. It is amusing to hear you talk of condescension.
2: It was condescension, nevertheless,"
0: said Eustacia vehemently
2: and if i had known then what i know now that i should be living in this wild heath a month after my marriage i i should have thought twice before agreeing
1: it would be better not to say that it might not sound truthful i am not aware that any deception was used on his part i know there was not whatever might have been the case on the other side
2: this is too exasperating
0: answered the young woman huskily her face crimsoning and her eyes darting light
2: can you dare to speak to me like that i insist upon repeating to you that had i known that my life would from my marriage up to this time have been as it is i should have said no i don't complain i have never uttered a sound of such a thing to him but it is true i hope therefore that in the future you will be silent on my eagerness if you injure me now you injure yourself
1: injure you do you think i am an evil disposed person
2: you injured me before my marriage and you have now suspected me of secretly favouring another man for money
1: i could not help what i thought but i have never spoken of you outside my house
2: you spoke of me within it to clim and you could not do worse
1: i did my duty
2: and i'll do mine
1: a part of which will possibly be to set him against his mother it is always so but why should i not bear it as others have borne it before me
2: i understand you
0: said eustacia breathless with emotion
2: you think me capable of every bad thing who can be worse than a wife who encourages a lover and poisons her husband's mind against his relative yet that is now the character given to me will you not come and drag him out of my hands
0: mrs jobright gave back heat for heat
1: don't rage at me madam it ill becomes your beauty and i am not worth the injury you may do it on my account i assure you i am only a poor old
0: woman who has lost a son
2: if you had treated me honourably you would have had him still
0: Eustacia said while scalding tears trickled from her eyes
2: you have brought yourself to folly you have caused a division which can never be healed
1: i have done nothing this audacity from a young woman is more than i can bear
2: it was asked for you have suspected me and you have made me speak of my husband in a way i would not have done you will let him know that i have spoken thus and it will cause misery between us will you go away from me you are no friend
1: i will go when i have spoken a word if any one says i have come here to question you without good grounds for it that person speaks untruly if any one says that i attempted to stop your marriage by any but honest means that person too does not speak the truth i have fallen on an evil time god has been unjust to me in letting you insult me probably my son's happiness does not lie on this side of the grave for he is a foolish man who neglects the advice of his parent you eustacia stand on the edge of a precipice without knowing it only show my son one-half the temper you have shown me to-day and you may before long and you will find that though he is as gentle as a child with you now he can be as hard as steel
0: the excited mother then withdrew and eustacia panting stood looking into the pool End of book four, chapter one